Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by this message from Pastor Charlotte Quist. Today we are going to talk about loving the long game. Loving the long game. And not everybody loves the long game. I am, for instance, how many golfers in the room? A, a few, a couple golf. Yeah, our local golf course right now is a train wreck. I was walking the dog out there. I'm like, oh, nobody's golfing this year. I don't even know. But I am a mini golfer. Um, I'm a big fan of the short game followed by the ice cream. Right? I'm in this whole take a whole day to walk around. I don't, even, I don't know why people want to do that. But I can get a hot pink ball. I can aim it at the windmill and I can get an ice cream at the end. So I'm, I'm generally a short game kind of person. But the long game has value. I also have not got the patience for chess. For instance, checkers is good. Checkers is great. You can have, you know, popcorn and snacks and checkers and play with the kids, play with the old people, play with whoever. You can you lose interest and watch a TV show and come back and still win the game, you know, whatever. Chess is the law, right? Come on now. Chess is the game that you actually have to think about what you're going to sacrifice so that you can save at the end. Who wants to think about that? Like, I'm going to sacrifice my pawn so I can save my queen or whatever. Long game. However, God is teaching us in this season to learn to love the long game. And the things of God take time. And so when we look at the word, and I believe you're all Bible readers, but when you go back and you read, you know, Old Testament stuff particularly, and, and you know, just in a chapter or two, you can see God bounce from one king to another and one kingdom to another. And, you know, for us, it's a quick read, but for them, it was like 60 years, you know, or 40 years or 100 years or whatever. And so God's like, Israel did this. Or the nation of, you know, Judah did this. Or his lineage did this. or what? God looks at these long-term things. Why? Because God's the God of eternity. Like eternity is timeless. And so what we think is like, oh my goodness, I've been suffering for three weeks. I'm, I'm going to die. God's like, wow. In the light of eternity, this is nothing. And so our perspective, when we get sucked into the here and now, actually gets screwed up. When we keep our eyes on the eternal perspective, we have the capacity to dig deep and to grow like we're meant to grow and develop what we're meant to develop. When you came to Christ, you engaged a life that you will live forever. So right now we are in this current time period where there's stuff going on that we're working through and walking through, but God is doing something in us now that matters for eternity. So that perspective is actually super helpful. Um, the idea that God sees it all, long picture, but he knows us intimately every morning we wake up is so comforting. So he cares about, he cares what, what your life's going to look like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, 2000 years from now. If you're in Christ, right? 5,000 years. From, he knows the long picture, but he cares about you today. I find that super comforting. But in learning to love that long game, we have to apply some principles. And so we're going to get into that today. The principles of actually living out the plan that God has for us and changing our thinking. Immediate gratification is something that our society is so good at. If you've ever driven through like a Tim Hortons, um, you know, drive through or something like that, if something takes longer than two minutes, 
You're like tapping out. It's like something must be terribly wrong in there today. I don't even know. I mean, it's so bad. Well, what on earth? I mean, it used to be that you would sit and you would take time and you would enjoy a cup of coffee with somebody, whatever. Now, if, if it doesn't come like this, we're just freaking out. And so yesterday when summer happened, um, I'm not sure if you, <laughs> I'm not sure if you know that it came and it went and it, <laughs> but anyway, it did. And so I immediately, like we clearly need some stuff for our backyard that, that has to be there because summer showed up and it's amazing. And so uh, it turns out like none of the garden centers are ready for that. They didn't get the memo that summer's happening. And so they didn't have what I wanted. So, I mean, I can't possibly wait until the garden center's open. I go online and I can find everything online. I, you know, between Wayfair and Amazon and Home Depot and you know, Canadian, everybody online. I can search and I can hunt and I can find and out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. That can't possibly be right. So we phone because we, we don't, you know, the store doesn't have it. The online uh, website doesn't have it. So we phone because obviously somebody just hasn't updated their website. And they say, oh yeah, no, we can get that product that you want, but it'll be middle of, Ju- uh, middle of July. How dare you? Do you not know that summer is approximately 12 hours long now? And I'm, I'm missing it. And, I, you know, of course, wake up this morning and there's snow back on the ground. For those watching from the lower mainland, yes, there is snow on the ground this morning. Oh, how dare they be back ordered for three months? I need it now because I've got the picture in my head. And I realized how, you know, even in this past season, where most people have shifted to buying a lot of stuff online, Amazon is like that. It's amazing. And if you happen to not get your order in 48 hours, you're like, what is wrong? Like, oh my goodness. I had one order that I ordered for Christmas and uh, I ordered the beginning of December and it came the middle of January. And I was like, what has happened? Well, all the mail plants in between got COVID. So uh, apparently my stuff was just parked there. But we have learned that everything is short and quick and fast and, but, How many of you know, like, let's just relate it to food. Because it's 12 o'clock, just for those that come to second service. The slow-cooked roast of beef that's in there, you know, all day long. You walk in the door, you can smell it coming down the driveway, right? It's It's like this piece of heaven versus drive through something and and we love our drive throughs and we're really grateful for the work and we're really grateful for the blessing of that when we're on the road but you don't savor a cheeseburger the same way you savor something that's been in the crock pot for 14 hours right there, there's something lo- the quality takes length there's there's like just stuff takes time i was noticing to my chagrin when summer happened yesterday that the tree i planted last year in the backyard that i thought was going to fill the big empty corner that I had is still a stick. And, um, and it was in all last summer. It, was pl- it had all summer to grow last year. And what does it do? Like this much. So I still have an empty corner with a stick in it now. So, uh, you know, the long game though, is that if I wait, I'm going to have this yard, hopefully, if my stuff shows up in July, that looks sort of like what I expect it to look like. The good stuff though, the good things of life take time. And so we are in this season of time that has lasted longer than most of us would like it to. I was thinking about, um, I don't know, I heard something about two weeks for something, you know, flattening. Um, It's going to change my life for two weeks, and then the world will go back to normal. Anybody remember something vaguely? Two weeks. 
14 months ago. <laughs> something that just keeps on going, that we're walking through, something that doesn't seem to end. And we have this um, ability and this decision-making power right now that we can either endure for another two, three weeks, or we can actually go, God, use this season in my life. Use this time. And when I look at what has happened in the body of Christ in this season, I am so grateful. I literally, um, three years ago, I think, when we were, we were vision casting for the church, and like, what do, what do we want to see? And of course, you know, every leadership thing you ever go to talks about numbers. Numbers of people, numbers of programs, numbers of life groups, numbers of, you know, whatever. How many kids do you have in your youth group? How many kids do you have in your kids' ministry? How many pastors do you have on staff? How much money are you bringing in? How do you know God couldn't give a rip about that? Honestly, I could probably put that nicer, but... Um, <laughs> God is interested in how much of our hearts he has. And so we can, and what we've learned in this year as churches have been shut down and as things have been migrated and things have had to adapt, we've learned how much we've been able to hide under the picture of programs and miss the depth of the heart. How many, uh, how many of us don't really know truly that God is our hope. We don't really know the principles of the kingdom. When the squeeze came on, we didn't really know what to do about it. We didn't really know how to. One of the things that I'm so proud of this church for is I believe we became a family during this season. I've seen people go outside of the norm to care for one another, to love one another, to share with one another when it was least comfortable. Prior to this, I believe we were struggling to figure out how to do it. This church has chosen to find out what God says. We have done Acts 4 and we've lived it. So God has developed something in us that is beautiful that wasn't there before. And so walking through that, I see this gift of God in the long game. And we need to make sure that while we're in a season of prayer, and everybody's looks different right now. But while we're in it, that God is doing in us what needs to be done and we're allowing him to, that we're partnering with him. So do I think that, that God has sent a virus on the earth? Not for a second. But I do believe that God uses the pressured up things of, of life, the, the, the fire of life to refine us for his purposes and for his glory. So we're going to walk through this today. We're going to talk about four key things to be able to learn to love the long game. And the first one is my favorite. Learn to wait. <laughs> Not really. Not my favorite at all. But one of the interesting things that I find about the Bible is when God does something on repeat, it kind of gives us a hint that this is how he thinks. This is how he operates. And so one of the things that is a repeating theme in the Bible is waiting upon the Lord waiting on him, entwining ourselves with him, putting a draw on him, not like, not like, you know, pushing ourselves into releasing things, but waiting on him until he releases things, leaning into his presence. So one of the most interesting things is right at the beginning of the book of Acts, the end of, we've just come out of Easter here, the end of the Easter story, we know that the disciples had this period of time with Jesus, very short, three years, you know, plus, give or take, um, where these, these men who had never met Jesus before end up leaving their lives, leaving their livelihoods, and totally being transformed following him. What, what's so interesting about it is that Jesus comes and he's like, you know, he, he mentions them by name and he says, come and follow me. He does not say, come and follow me 
It's only going to be a couple years. We're probably going to be hated by a lot of people. We're going to travel around a lot. There's going to be no stability. At the end of it, I'm probably going to die. Then I'm going to raise again, and then I'll leave you. He doesn't say that. He just says, follow me. He doesn't tend to give the whole picture, you know? But there is a waiting process that's part of it. So everything that God is, some of us, you know, you might feel like God has invited you into stuff. He said, you know, he's, he's asked you to say yes to certain things. He's asked you to step out in certain areas. And you're like, wow, the fine print. <laughs> Not quite what I hoped for. The fine print, it, it, it's, it's got some other stuff attached to it. But God will complete in us what he's begun if we allow him the time to do so, if we surrender to him and, and lean into this. So here's this group of guys, and they go through this emotional roller coaster. We found the Messiah. We follow him. Wait a minute. He's not what we thought he was going to be. Okay, but we're living in love. We're experiencing his goodness. We're seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. He can do anything. Every time the, the, the uh, you know, crowds come and they try and grab him, it says Jesus disappears into the crowd. He's, he's really quite amazing. And then they come and they crucify him. Wait a minute. And you can tell that that obviously shook things up a little bit because at the cross, only John is there. Everybody else has run. They've all left, and they're all processing in their mind, this does not look like I thought it was going to look like. This is not coming about the way I expected it to come about. And to the point that when Jesus rises from the dead and the empty tomb is there and the women go and they, the angel comes and meets with them and Jesus shows up and talks to Mary, they have to go and get the disciples from where they're hiding and tell them Jesus has risen. Yeah. And they're like, really? So then they, they brace themselves and they come and they find the empty tomb gathered together the word tells us that they're they're in in a room when jesus like walks through the wall and presents himself risen before them can you imagine that day so okay he's back awesome now no i'm just staying for a little while then i'm gonna leave what do you mean you're gonna leave <laughs> where i'm going you can't come with me what we've been coming with you all this time there's this journey that they're going through god Right up close and personal, Jesus living on the earth, God in the flesh, didn't feel the need to explain to them what was going to happen. He was trying to walk with them through this, and they had to learn some things in the process. To the point that we get to the end of Mark, we get to the end of the Gospels when Jesus is saying that, you know, here's what your future is going to look like. Here's the promise. You are going to, in my name, you are going to preach. You are going to cast out demons. You are going to heal the sick. You are going to speak in other tongues. There is, there is no poison that you can drink that will harm you. God is with you. He will work with you as you go out and you do this stuff. Yay! And then Jesus goes to leave, and he, he comes and he gives them their next instruction. And it comes in Acts 1, chapter 4. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What? They're on this roller coaster of emotions that has happened over this, you know, 43-day uh, period kind of thing where stuff's just going. And, and suddenly, Jesus is leaving, and he tells them to just sit there and wait. That gives us a hint that waiting has a purpose. Jesus could have said, now, when I leave, imagine this. When I leave and you see me go, run from that place. Tell everybody what you just saw. You could say, I, literally, Jesus was just standing here 20 minutes ago, and now he's gone into heaven. No, Jesus says, go and wait. Why? That doesn't compute with our natural thinking of capitalizing on the moment. But Jesus was more concerned about what needed to happen on the inside of them for the long game. Yeah. 
And so it says, uh, Acts 1 chapter, or verse 6 to 8, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. None of your business. That's, that's what he comes back with. None of your business. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So God is, is speaking directly into their, he's, he's speaking destiny, he's speaking what's coming, he's speaking the promise. Many of us have received a promise from God. Many of us have a sense on the inside of what's supposed to be coming, what's supposed to be happening, but, but there is this gap in the middle. And they say, you know, can we, can we know what it is? Jesus is like, no. So basically he tells them these few things. He says, you need to wait. He says, you're not supposed to understand everything. He says, something good is coming. And there's purpose in this. Those things are applicable to us today. We're supposed to wait. What does that mean? Wait on him. Lean in him. Draw from him. Learn from him. Taste of him and see that he is good. This is a time of great development. We are supposed to wait. We aren't supposed to understand everything. That sucks. Let's just be honest with that. I would love some explanation about what is going on, why it's going on, and how long it's going to take. That doesn't seem to be free-flowing information. So we're not supposed to understand everything. Something good is coming, and there is purpose in this. There is purpose in this, and we need to understand as we move forward in the things that God has called us to that there is something good in this. There's a 10-day gap between when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, and they're supposed to wait. Can you imagine how that felt? Waiting. For what? We don't really understand what it is that's coming. We know that the one we've been following has left. We know that we're just hanging out until something happens that's going to bring power, but we don't know what that looks like. In that process, though, what happened 10 days, all, all we really know that happened is they replaced Judas as a disciple. That's it. Other than that, what shifted was they came to one heart and one mind and were seeking the Lord. So their perspective, they leaned in. This 10-day period was about waiting on God. It was leaning into him. It was seeking him. It was prayer, and it was worship, and it was honoring him. There was a question that came up in our pursuit last, uh, last week, and if you haven't been to pursuit yet, you do not want to miss pursuit nights. The next one, I think, is May 2nd. May 2nd, 6 o'clock. So good. But the one uh, lot of prophetic word came out, but the one question that we were kind of left with was, what are you willing to do to host the presence of God? What are you willing to do to host the presence of God? Essentially, Jesus had said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon me and you will. What were they willing to do to experience that? They had to decide to wait. And something in that 10-day process changed within them because prior to Jesus leaving, they were disciples. They were students. After the Holy Spirit arrived, they became the teachers. Prior to this 10-day period, they would say, Jesus, what do you want us to know? When after the 10-day period happened, the Holy Spirit came, they began to speak of, this is what I need you to know about Jesus. Yeah. 
something shifted and they moved into a place of maturity. The student became the teacher. They shifted into a place of actually carrying the presence of God where they went, speaking the word of God, living the life of the spirit. God wants us even in this hour when there's the pressures on, when the things are happening, he is developing something in us. Basically, to put it bluntly, we need to grow up. It is time for the church to mature and become carriers of the presence of God. And when I look at what's happening in our nation right now, some of you saw a video I posted this week, but I, man, I have been so discouraged, truthfully, because I have in my heart what I believe God has promised over this nation. There, there's, there's so many prophetic words, there's scriptures, there's what's engraved on our government buildings across this land in Ottawa, what has, has been prayed and declared over this nation from the beginning of, of uh, Confederacy and, and how, things, you know, how things are laid out that we will serve the Lord. And yet, right now, it's anything but. It's anything but serving the Lord. So what does that mean? If there has to be a change, it has to be transformative. It can't just be a move of God that we can't sustain or that we're not ready for. It has to be uh, based on and flowing through a people that are prepared to host his presence, that are prepared to carry his presence, a people that are not tossed about and moved about by every wind of doctrine, a people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. There has to be something that comes from the inside out of the church that will change the nation. And so we have to wait. We have to learn if God's not doing, if we can't see he's moving like he's promised, then it's probable that there's something in the process of waiting that has to be done and we need to lean in on him. We, we have to make sure that we're stepping into this place and doing exactly what God has called us to do. And so we learn to wait. And number two, we learn to trust the process. We learn to trust the process. And that is also not easy. Um, there's a you know, not so favorite scripture of a lot of people, but this is, this is part of the process. So James 1, 2 to 4, you're going to love this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Anybody want me to stop there? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let's just stop. If we walk through this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces. The testing of your faith produces. Like, just hang there for a minute. The testing of your faith produces. What does that mean? It means there's a point to it. It means that there's purpose. It means that God has not forgotten us. It means that we're not left behind. It means that as things are being tested, as things are being tried, it is producing something. And specifically, it says it's producing patience. Everybody who's been saved for any length of time knows not to pray for patience because it reverts us back to this thing. But this, this is a necessary thing. You're, the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. What is its perfect work? What is the job of patience? That you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So most of us would prefer that this scripture verse says this, my brethren, count it all joy that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. That just sounds so much better, doesn't it? 
Count it all joy that you may be, no, there is a process in the middle. And we don't get to the back half of the verse without going through the middle of the verse. This is how God operates. This is how life operates. We all have these processes that take us from being one thing and shifting us into being another. I was talking to um, Bob this week. Bob is um, ex-military. And just talking about the difference between a soldier and a warrior. And I said, you tell me what's the difference between a soldier and a warrior. He said, a soldier is somebody who is trained and has a uniform. A warrior is somebody who wears the identity. It's who they are. It's not what they do. And, and that shift, God is calling us not to be just believers in Christ, but carriers of the spirit of the living God. Christians, Christ-like ones, he's calling us to mature in the faith. And so that same difference, do we want to just have the uniform and a title, or do we want to actually live faith? Do we want to actually live what we believe? Are we able to mature into that place? So it says, my brethren counted all joy. So the word counted all means to deem or to judge or consider it all joy. And the word joy there means calm delight. So he says, consider it or deem it to be a calm delight. Wow. When you fall into various trials. What he's saying essentially is choose your attitude. Consider it to be. Deem it to be. You decide. You decide how you feel about this situation. You decide how your attitude's going to be. You decide how you're going to respond. You do get a choice. So you consider it to be a calm delight when you fall into various trials. And the word trials there means, this is really good, it means putting to proof or to experiment or test what is good. So when you fall into trials, it means that there is, there is a putting to proof. It's not that just bad stuff is happening to you. It means some of the pressures of life are testing or putting to proof. They are trying to prove what good thing is in you. So count it all joy. Decide your attitude is going to be one of calm delight when you find your insides being tested. <sighs> that is brilliant and awful all at the same time. When you fall into various trials, and the fall into various trials means that it, there's adversity all around. That sounds like accurate to right now. Count it all joy. Decide to have a calm attitude of delight when the pressures on the outside that are all around you put a squeeze on the good that's on the inside of you. And then it goes on, and it says, knowing that this testing of your faith, or the, the definition of that is the proof of trustiness. Because the testing of the faith or the proof of trustiness or trustworthiness, uh, because the proving, testing, trying of your faith produces, is doing something, it's producing patience, which means this, cheerful endurance. It's producing cheerful endurance and constancy. It's making you tough. It's making you strong. It's making you stable. It's making you steadfast with a good attitude. Isn't that awesome? This is how it's doing. So it produces patience 
but let patience have its perfect work. So patience has a job to do, right? So what, when we're in this process and there's this pressure coming from the outside and we decide, we consider ourselves uh, to, to step into calm delight, knowing that this pressure, this putting to proof, this testing that's coming from the outside, that's squeezing us on the inside, is producing this level of cheerful constancy that actually opens the door to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Isn't that good? How many of us have been praying that we would experience the fullness of God, that we would experience the, the life and power of the Spirit in an active way in our lives? God's answering our prayer. It just doesn't look like we wanted it to at all. But we can choose our response. We can either endure this and be like, oh, God, have you forgotten me? Or we could be like, thank you, Lord. I am going to choose my attitude. I am going to choose to wait on you. I am going to trust the process of this. I am going to trust that you know exactly how much I can take. If we go back to that military setting, you know, when, when uh, the boot camp training is going on, they're not trying to kill people even though that's what it probably feels like when you're on your you know, 90th kilometer of running and you're throwing up in the bushes, whatever. They're not trying to kill anybody. They are trained to watch where your limits are and they're further than you thought they were. Their job is to push you past your limits and into the place of strength. And so the same thing, this testing, this trying, God, is, God knows what we can handle. He knows what we're capable of, and he will push us beyond the place of what we think we can carry so that patience can have its perfect work and we can experience the fullness of God. Some of us want to grow up, but we don't want this process. I'm telling you today, according to the word, if God didn't even cut the apostles some slack in book of Acts, he ain't doing it for us either. This is how this works. It, maturing takes effort. Maturing takes choice. Maturing takes actually running into the presence of God. It, it takes that waiting on him. It takes choosing our attitude, trusting our, uh, the process, and, and, and letting God do what needs to be done in us. He knows what's gonna, what it's going to take to get to the end result. Can we trust him? If we whine our way through this, like notice this, Count it all, joy, it's a decision. Joy is something, it's a fruit of the spirit. It's the strength that gives us, or the joy gives us the strength that we need to get through what we get through. But we choose joy. We choose joy. Joy is an attitude. Joy is something that we put a draw on, like all the fruit of the spirit. The, 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 the fruit of the spirit that's available to us, you know, the kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, it doesn't come on and pounce on you and make you do nice things. You choose to put a draw on what the Holy Spirit provides. He's providing for us joy. He's providing for us the strength we need to let patience do its perfect work in us. What I'm telling you is there's no get out of jail free card today. Patience has a job to do. Its job is perfecting us, making us complete and lacking nothing. I love how it specifically says in verse four, but let patience have its perfect work. That's our choice. But let it. You can push back. You can complain. We can whine. We can fight against it. Or we can let it do in us what it's supposed to do. Number three then, choose your attitude. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Choose your attitude. 
I think it's so interesting that like these passages of scripture that we're talking about today are actually on repeat through the Bible. So we know that it's a, it's a definite principle. When we see it come from different uh, writers, we see it come in different forms, but it's the same thing. We know that God doesn't, uh, he, he loves us completely. He wants the very, very best for us. He's come that we would have life and life abundantly, but he does not give us an escape hatch from the troubles of life. And we know this right off the bat from Psalm 23, when David writes that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Why doesn't he nuke the enemies? Because you're exposed to experience the goodness of God in the midst of it. That's what makes us different. That is what the living hope in us looks like. It's in the middle of the stuff that everybody goes through. There is a banquet table of his presence. There is a place of feasting in him. There's a place of goodness in him in the middle of the mess. Isn't it interesting? David was a man after God's own heart, and God didn't knock out the enemies all the time. There were specific instances where God worked with him, but there were times when God wanted him to go through something to experience the growth on the inside, to learn the nature of God, the character of God. So we choose our attitude. So here, let's pick up one of our other favorite scriptures, Romans 5. Anybody want to know that one off by heart? Romans 5, 1 to 5. First verse was uh, James this is Paul, so this is how we know in the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing is confirmed. This is God, God's method, God's speaking. So it says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That first verse, that is talking about salvation. So anybody who has said yes to Jesus, anybody who has come to Christ, anybody who has asked the, the, the um forgiveness of Jesus to wash over the blood of Jesus to cleanse our sins. This is us. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That, those verses right there are so full of life. Like my favorite words that are in there, if we could just look at this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So right there, we have faith, we have peace, we have access by faith into grace in which we stand, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then verse three, and that's not all. It's like, but wait, there's more. We glory in tribulations. Well, that was a detour from the, uh, we, wait, we're having you know faith, peace, access, grace, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Wow, verse one and two and five are awesome. Three and four. <laughs> what? There's no out. There's no out, except that one and two and five are such a perfect sandwich that we know God's going to take us through the other side, and it's worth it. We know here, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. There's three specific things that Paul talks about in this verse, in this passage, that are the right attitudes to have. And this first one is stand in grace. 
Stand in grace. The attitude that we have is we stand in grace. So this thing that God's calling us to, where we're going to have people, and right now there's so many people with the pressures of life and the things that are going on, and, and you know, so good for you. You've got religion. What that, what's that doing for you? You're still having to go through everything like everybody else. Yeah, but different on the inside. The outside stuff is irrelevant compared to the glory that's going on on the inside. God never promised to zip me out of problems. He promised to walk with me through them. He promised to deliver me out of them on the other side. He promised to never leave me, to never forsake me. I know that I can stand in this grace. And grace is not just the fact that I know God. It's the fact that he gives me everything I need to do, everything he's called me to do. Grace is the sufficiency that I step in. It's his sufficiency. So I can do anything God asks me to do by his power, by his might, standing in that grace. And then it says we rejoice in hope. So we stand in grace. Having done all to stand, we stand therefore. Don't move. Consider the relationship you have with Jesus. And then rejoice in hope. And rejoicing is a choice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's a choice. Rejoicing is this place on the inside where I decide to celebrate his goodness. Yeah. I decide to celebrate who he is, what he's done, his nature, his heart, his very uh, being in my life. Rejoice in hope in the Amplified verse 2 says, Let us rejoice in our hope and confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God, the manifestation of his excellence and power. Man, it is deciding to rest in his goodness. To When everything else is swirling around, I have a hope that I am going to be with him eternally. I have hope that when this life ends, whether it's up close or, you know, in the next months or years, or it's going to be decades down the road, either way, I have this hope ahead of me. I have this anchor for my soul, and I choose to rejoice. It means when I'm feeling my worst, I put on the praise music, and I choose to dance a little bit. I choose to clap a little bit little bit. I choose to sing a little bit. I choose to celebrate on the inside the goodness of God. I don't have to wait till the other side of eternity to experience that right here and right now. I can rejoice in hope knowing that the presence of God is with me right here, right now. This is an attitude that we step into. It's something we meditate on. Rejoicing means to celebrate with great expectancy of heart. Stand in grace Rejoice in hope. And our third attitude, glory in tribulation. Yeah. Glory in tribulation, right? To glory, when we've talked about glory in the last, um, uh, you know, weeks and months. We've talked about honor and how it connects with glory. But glory means to see the value in, right? So the presence of God, the goodness of God, it's his value, it's his worth. So this says to glory in tribulation, literally it means to boast or see the value in tribulation. Good times, right? You all came here today probably going, I would love to know how to get out of tribulation. No, you are supposed to see the value in it. That is not something we preach a lot in North American churches, but it's fully in the New Testament. Truly. 
There's not a lot of free passes in the New Testament. I don't know where we got off on the happy gospel, but there is joy that is so much deeper and so much better than superficial happiness. It is a core belief in God that knows he is enough, that he is able, that he's on the throne, that he's with us, that he's walking us through. And so we can glory or we can see the value in tribulation. Tribulation straight up means pressure. Pressure. I can't take it anymore. Anybody had those lips or words cross their lips in the last couple of weeks? I can't take it anymore. I don't know how much more of this I could do. That is pressure. Pressure on your mind, pressure on your body, pressure on your finances, pressure on your health, pressure on your relationships. Pressure isn't damage necessarily. It's a sense that we have that there's a press going on, that there's a pushing going on. We talk about the new wine and the new oil. You know, you don't get wine or oil without a press. Really, we don't get wine or oil without a press. And so God's calling us to see the value in the pressure. He gives us the, 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 the flow here. Paul talks about the ex, uh, explanation of how things hand off one to the other. And it says here in the beginning, verse 3, not only that, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So we already talked about patience. Patience and perseverance are actually the same word. So the same root that's been used here, it's been translated different. Perseverance then basically means that uh, cheerful endurance or constancy. So it's telling us that pressure produces patience. It produces perseverance. It produces that strength. It produces that cheerful endurance or that constancy. And we know that according to James, that patience, it has a job to do in our lives. So in other words, we can't get to perseverance or patience without the tribulation. And we can't get to what it is that the patience is meant to produce without going through this. So the pressure, some of us have been praying for a move of God in our lives. We want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. We want to see our lives transformed. We want to see our marriages changed. We want to see our homes changed. We want to see our nation changed, our province changed, something. And God's like, okay, good. Here's where we start. What? No, I'm looking for a sovereign move of God that just comes in and transforms it. There are moments and times and places in our lives where God will move in and he does transform. But I'm telling you what, even the demoniac that was so, uh, so um, captured by that legion of demons, he was set free by Jesus in a moment. Yes, the sovereign move of God. But then he wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said, no, you're going to have to go and do other things. He had to completely reroute his life. He had to learn how to do things. He wasn't really welcome in his own town. It says that he went all over. You know, we saw that video that Jonathan put together. He was actually one of the first evangelists that went out, but he had to learn how to do that. He was pressed in his own way. There was a process that came on the other side of the miracle. So God will give us and release to us to the ability that we are willing to steward it. Stewardship is not developed without having gone through this process. It doesn't necessarily mean suffering and agony. It just means pressure. I, I, so we were given um, one of those, uh, now I forget what it's called, Instant Pots. I think from you guys, actually, even. It's awesome! The, the, the pressure, however it works, it forces like the fluid into the meat or whatever you're cooking, and it does things a little bit faster than it would normally do, but you get the results of the long-term thing. 
That concept, actually, I love here because I know that when we look back in the word, we see in, uh, you know, in the removal from Egypt when Israel was set free and they were moving into the promised land and they had to get a mindset change from being slaves to being owners, to, from being slaves to being uh, free, to be, to be you know, able to handle their own land and whatever. It took 40 years to be able to shift from one thing to another. The apostles took 10 days. Similar process. They went from one way of thinking to a completely different way of thinking. But the Israelites, the ones that had 40 years, were very rebellious. They were very complaining. They were very discouraged and disheartened and whined and bickered and whatever. The disciples stayed in one accord, one heart, one mind, seeking the Lord. I believe we can decide how long this takes. It's a process, but what are we willing to do? How are we willing to press into this? So tribulation produces perseverance or patience. The next one says perseverance then produces character. And character literally means tested proof or tried and approved. It means spiritual maturity. So perseverance, the pressure that comes on produces in us that cheerful constancy on the inside that's stable, and that then produces this tested, tried, approved spiritual maturity, and that produces hope. So character then produces hope, which is so good. We've already talked about standing in hope, which is the hope of of walking with God, the hope of eternity. But this kind of hope, this is the hope that's on the inside. This is the hope that I own. This is the hope that frames my decisions, my conversations, my actions. This is the hope that I know on the inside. I don't, I don't care how the world is shaking. I don't care what other people say. I don't care what I have to go through. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able. It's that kind of thing. It's that place of of deep knowing. So character produces or maturity produces real hope or real expectancy, real confident assurance. It provides a stability. This kind of hope is the hope that we read about that does not disappoint us, right? That right here it says at the very end of this, verse five, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What does that tell us? That as the character gives birth to hope, that real hope, we're able to lay hold of what the love of God really is on a whole new level. We see what he sees. We feel what he feels. We experience what he wants us to experience. We really know the love of God. We really know it. How do we know that? Ephesians 3. 17 to 21, the Apostle Paul is praying and he's talking about what this this love unlocks or this hope unlocks. And he says, he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. which is what was promised in James through the tribulation and the patience, is that it would give birth to completeness. It would give birth to this very thing. 
So it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying here that he's like, I know, I know that you're not going to be able to experience that power in the church, that exceedingly abundantly above until you know the love of God, until you're really able to lay hold of it, until you really, when you know who God really is and how much he loves and how he loves and how his love is poured out upon you and in you and through you, when you really get that, you're going to have the capacity to walk in the fullness of the power of God. Basically, he's saying you will see the signs, wonders, and miracles that you're desiring because you can lay hold of love. It has to be built on love. How do we get to love? Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What this is saying is that when we come to Christ, when we're born again, we get access to the whole thing, but it takes maturity to apply it. There is a growth. It's like a, a, you know, a baby being born into a royal family and you're a prince or you're a princess and this whole kingdom is yours. But when do you get to activate it? when you're mature enough to handle it. Until then, it's being handled by other people and spoon-fed to you. So a, a prince or princess coming up, you know, we, we read about kings in the, in the Old Testament, that, who was it that was seven years old or something? It's like, wow, good times to lead a nation, which means he didn't really lead the nation, his advisors did. And he was given the information that he needed and he was raised up in these things. Some of us have been very long-term being spoon-fed these things. And God's saying, if I've promised it to you, you can have it, but you have to apply it. You have to choose to grow up so that you can lay hold of it. You have to choose to dig in. It means that when the pressure comes and on the inside of us, that constancy, is being tested, that stability is being tested, when patience is being developed, when our attitude is being checked, when our nature is being uh, evaluated, when we find out whether we run into the presence of God, whether we choose to wait on him or we run to everybody else to pacify and make us feel better, when we're walking through that process God's way, it leads us to the place where we can walk into the fullness of what God's already promised us. I believe that God has called us in this hour to experience the fullness. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. I believe that to be a promise that we can have. But we need to know our God. And we know him going through seasons like this. You, you can have somebody in your life who says, I'm there in the good times and bad. I'm there for you always. How do you know if it's true? Not till you go through the bad times. Somebody says, I'm anything you need, you can have it. You don't know if that's true until you need something. We don't know our God until we put a draw on him for every part of life. There is a place in him that we, we actually are meant to lean into to experience the fullness of him. And according to that power that works in us, I was talking to our, our um, team today in between services here, and just, you know, one of the things on my heart is that I believe, I believe that there is a move of God that we are just on the, we're, we're tasting the beginning pieces of it. God is doing things. There's an experience that we are, we're beginning to have where people are readily coming to Christ and, and full heartedly. 
You know, I don't, I don't find a lot of people that are looking for religion. I, look, I find a lot of people that are looking for transformation, which is so very exciting to me. But it would be so sad to me to have a mighty move of God that we aren't mature enough to handle and we lose it. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't it be sad to have people come to Christ and we aren't prepared to disciple them because we can't deal with our own junk, let alone theirs too? Are, are, are we prepared to lay down our lives in service for one another? Are we prepared to live the gospel out loud? These disciples had to decide in those 10 days, they had to decide to stop getting fed from Jesus and begin to live out of Jesus in them. They had to decide that they were gonna sit there, stop going, you know, what, what is it you want us to do today and we're gonna follow you. And we're just, but, but thank you for sending us, we will go and do. There was a shift on the inside. Some of us have been saved for a very, very, long time maybe never grown past the first couple stages there's an invitation right now this pressure if we engage it properly God has a purpose in it and I'm again I'm not saying suffering I'm saying pressure there are times when what's pushing us on the outside is revealing what's on the inside so the final bit here is then we learn to love the long game it means that even though what started as two weeks is now not whatever the issues are in life i mean if we look back a little bit in our province you know the oil prices uh tanked long before that we had the pipeline issues we had all kinds of stuff going on in our sphere long before COVID even happened we've had a long season of pressure but what is it doing in us if it's not driving us to the foot of the cross we are not letting it have its perfect work in us. If, if it's not bringing us to our knees, we are not allowing God to do what he desires to do. And so I believe we've got this opportunity. And the more we press into him, the more we allow him to work out in us what needs to be worked out, the more of him we will experience in fullness in our lives. And so that is learning to love the long game. Second Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, for our light, aff uh, light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us. Just stop there. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us. What is the point? How much longer? Well, maybe we get to decide some of this, but it's working in us. It's working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Tell you what, in this time that we're walking through, in the same way that those early apostles had to decide to wait on God, they had to be changed, they had to be transformed. Why is it that the apostle Paul could write to Timothy and he said, don't get entangled with the things of the earth. You know, a, a good soldier does not get wound up in earthly matters. How did he know that? Because he probably slipped there too. He probably got caught up in what was right around him and had to learn the lesson. How, how did James know that, man, th there's that, this work of patience. It does, because he experienced it, because he lived it. The same guy who wrote, deal with your tongue. 
wrote this. James probably had a super fun walk with the Lord for a few years there while he figured it out. There, there's, there's some stuff that we can find from watching how they walked it out that they, did, they didn't experience that, that um, you know, perfection and the release of life that we would all like, but they did experience the fullness of God and walked in his grace, walked in his love, walked in his power, that there were signs, wonders, and miracles. They did see the world turned upside down by the power of the gospel, the good news. When our eyes are on the right things, we're not looking for comfort. We're looking to see people's lives transformed. Uh, if, if we had to choose, you know, if it's the difference between, you know, I get a nicer car, or I get a nicer house, or I have nicer things, or I have less stress, or what if it's, say, five people? Five people come to Christ, get healed, get delivered, get their lives put on the right track, get, get rescued out of a personal torment. Would it be worth it? What are we willing to do to host the presence of God? This is the process. And it's a good process. And we can trust it because of his love. We can trust it because of his nature. Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep our focus proper. But literally walking through this process, we need to learn to love the long game. We need to learn to choose our attitude. We need to learn to trust the process and we need to learn to wait. And so I'm just encouraging all of us. I am believing for a mighty, mighty, mighty move of God that is so much more than anything we've ever experienced. I am grateful for what is going on right now. I am cautious that we steward it well, that each person who's coming to Christ right now, we're, we're doing our best to walk people through it. Each person that is, is going through our own journeys right now, whether it's loss of jobs or whether it's loss of, of uh, life or whether it's relationship pressure or whatever, it is our goal in this season to see the fullness of God manifested, to see people move in maturity in the things of God, to see a body of believers that know their God and do great exploits. So let's focus on his goodness. Let's stand together this morning. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give, just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach, teach, mobilize.